Did you know that twice a year I hold a one-day interactive virtual conference to help leaders become better bosses? We call it the Boss Better Virtual Summit, and the only way to get tickets to these events is to be a subscriber to our Boss Better email newsletter. Just text the word Boss Hero to 66866 to get signed up and be the first to know when dates are announced. That's Boss Hero, all one word, to 66866. Or you can visit bossbetternow.com to subscribe. Now let's get to the podcast. You got to be careful. Left to their own devices, most employees aren't honest or trustworthy. They need to be monitored. Or maybe none of that is true at all. Plus, we boss like a mother and explore the relationship between trust and failure. That's what's ahead now on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and new A-L-E-X-A owner, Joe Mall. <laughs> hey, Alexa, play Boss Better Now with Joe Mall is a thing I can say now. Yes, that's right. We have uh, one of these in our house, and um, I have always been hesitant because I don't want like Big Brother listening. I don't like creepy marketing too. Like if I say to my wife, "Boy, you know, we could really use a new lawn care program," and then our entire Facebook and Instagram feeds are filled with lawn care programming ads. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say your phone does that already. I know, right? And that's so, that, and that's how I reconciled it. Just it's, add it to your yeah. Amazon list. Yes, I mean. everything is listening. Yes, yeah, so I might as well just be able to ask her to play the Billy Joel channel on Sirius XM and enjoy it while I'm watching washing the dishes. Like. Yes. You know what the, I love it mostly for is my kiddo. <laughs> He's got lots of questions all the time about uh. some very random stuff. And while I appreciate that he thinks he and or that his dad and I are like, you know, <laughs> have Wikipedia all the world's knowledge whatever. in your I head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. And therefore, and I, we've never shied away from just saying, I don't know, but we'll have to Google it or whatever. So then right. he just takes it upon himself while we're at the dinner table to shout out her name and ask his question. Like, what is the capital of Puerto Rico last night? I mean, this is like the kinds of things that he wants to understand. Yes. Yes. Are there any other uh, uses you have for it that have made life easier or more convenient or that you quite enjoy? Because I'm still learning kind of the full breadth and scope of what I can do with it. Oh, my God. Okay. So as someone who does the majority of the cooking, I don't know if you also do like the grocery shopping lists Best thing as about well. It. Absolutely. Yes. Hey, A, add blah, blah, blah to my shopping list. And then you go to the yes. store and it's all there. That is uh, that is a, a phenomenal feature. And I have like, I don't know, 15 different lists. Like the always <laughs> running, you know, uh, all these lists, the random like Target slash Dollar General list. Okay. Oh, that's a great idea. Different list. So I could say add this to my Costco list. It, that's exactly it. And then Ooh. I got the Costco list. Right. And then I got the Lowe's list because, you know, you always forget about yeah. that light bulb, that specialty thing that you need or that yeah. little nut or whatever it might be. Yeah. So all the lists. Yeah. All the lists. And I've always used phone. my watch or my phone for like, timers or reminders. I'm a, I'm a big reminders person with my phone. Like I'll say, 
hey, S-I-R-I, uh, yeah, yeah, remind yeah. me tomorrow at 8.45 to stop and pick up a gift card for so-and-so's birthday because I know I'm going to be driving by this store. Oh, okay. To do that. Um, and it's nice to do that in the house with her, though. Like, set an alarm for this time because that's when we promised we'd go next door and let their dog out. Yep. That's what I do a lot of the time. Like, remind me to get the laundry, switch it to the dryer, you know, like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So. Yes. All right. So, <laughs> plus it sends it to my husband's phone too. So he knows that, like, yeah. what I'm doing and, or when yeah. he should be doing something too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and, and to our boss heroes who are listening, if you have like genius, A-L-E-X-A hacks that you want us to know about, please share them. You can uh, email us, uh, bossbetternow at gmail.com, or you can at me on Twitter or Instagram at joemull77. You well, know how we get all like delightful for like organization and hacks for life. It right. Be all right. fuzzy. That's right. Uh, and Boss Heroes, whether you're listening uh, on that lady's device or on Apple or Spotify or, or Google or on YouTube, we're glad you're here, however you came to us. And uh, the voice you've been hearing this entire time, besides mine, is my fantastic co-host, Alyssa Mullet. Uh, and Alyssa, I wanted to start off today uh, by asking people to think about what they believe about employees. So I, I have written two pieces lately that have gone out to our followers. I've written some things on my blog and on uh, LinkedIn um, that kind of tie what's been going on right now with so much um, shifting and job changing and upgrading in the marketplace uh, to what we inherently believe about employees. So the first was a piece I wrote a, a couple of weeks ago about a conversation I had with a hospital administrator after a keynote. Uh, a gentleman came up to me I said, you know, the problem with remote is that you can't see them. You don't know what they're doing. Uh, you don't know if they're working. You don't know if they're double dipping. You don't know if they're taking extra jobs on the side. I just don't ha- know how to make it work. And I said to him, well, those problems you just listed actually have nothing to do with remote work. Those are problems of trust. And I think this is an interesting thing to examine when it comes to how we make decisions about how we structure remote work and what we think about employees. Because right now, I think the biggest obstacle to making remote work work in companies everywhere isn't necessarily technology or communication. It might be a lack of trust. Because I think for some leaders, there's a fundamental assumption that left to their own devices, people are going to lie. They're going to cheat. They're going to game the system. They're going to do the minimum. They're going to rip off the company. And so we see so many organizations building these complex systems to monitor work, or or they install cumbersome processes to constantly check in with people or expect them to report out on their work. Um, I've seen a lot of news coverage of these kinds of systems and software that's just like startling with some companies counting keystrokes and monitoring attendance with cameras and even requiring hourly updates. It's, it's bananas. And so... I think what underneath the surface of that is that we often build processes and systems and make decisions out of fear of the rare bad apple and then impose them on a a workforce that's largely comprised of ethical people. Hmm. And I think when we do that, it actually sends a, a, a harmful message loudly from management to employees over and over again. And that message is, we don't trust you. But the truth is, I think the overwhelming majority of people are trustworthy. I think the overwhelming majority of people are not going to nap. They're not going to watch Netflix and ignore their work because suddenly nobody is watching them. I think that you grant yourself a lot of 
grace and less stress when you decide, you know what, most people are going to do the best they can because most people are good. And especially remote workers who are probably grateful for the chance to work virtually and want to prove they can be just as effective. I think you got to decide that most people are good people who take pride in their work and not design systems for the rare bad apple, which just end up doing harm to most of the people who are good. So let me stop there. I have another side to this that I'm going to bring up in a few minutes, but I want to stop there and start to to break that down with you. This idea of what, you know, what do you believe about people? Do you believe that we have to create systems to prevent bad apples from rotting? Or do you believe that most people are good eggs to use two food metaphors at the same time. <laughs> so this is the, when I hear what you're talking about, some of the key things that I pick up on are words such as trust yeah. and fear. And in the example you gave of uh, this administrator having these concerns, if I mm -hmm. put them that way, right? Um, I think if we're all honest with each other, at some point in our bossing history, maybe it's your current present, uh, you have had reason to distrust people, yes. right? Um, and there is also this very real... Um, what shall we call it? What it is, a uh, power trip that we can very easily jump on for ourselves to say, I have to feel like I have some very real authority and power over people, right? In order to feel like a real leader, which is an antiquated bad trope for us to try on but inevitably we all do it we've all done it and so what i think we have to now do is in a world where remote work and uh job sharing and all of the rest of these things that we need to do in order to make work meaningful and work fit people's lives, we have to delve a little bit deeper into what those maybe unconscious levels of mm -hmm. what that power over and authority in us look like now, right? Um, and so those seeds of distrust, whether they have been real in in your um span of authority or not uh, with employees, you have to do some deeper mind work <laughs> in order to say, okay, is this based in reality of what is actually happening? Or is this my perception mm -hmm. of uh, what I need as a leader to feel like I have the authority and the power to continue my role? It's a great point, especially because as you ascend in leadership roles in your career, you become aware of and party to more and more information and, yeah. and bigger and broader scope and, and larger teams. And so 
you are going to see more and more of the extremes. You're going to see more and more of the bad behavior. Usually when you have a leader who is imposing a lot of these kinds of monitoring systems or has a lot of fear or a lot of mistrust, it, it might be because they got badly burned at some point. Mm-hmm. It, it might, Or it might be because they've been doing this a long time and they know that from time to time people come along and they do game the system. But I think underneath that, you know, maybe it's power, maybe it's fear brought about by the imbalance of what you see versus what you don't see. My brother-in-law is a police officer. He's actually a police chief. And we've mm-hmm. had interesting conversations about this and about cynicism. Um, and he will be the first to tell you that you know they see people at their worst all of the time. And it, it can make being hopeful or looking for the best in people difficult. Um, you know, as we talked about, nobody calls the police to tell them that everything is just fine. Thanks very much. Right. <laughs> right. For sure. Um, and so as you ascend in leadership roles, oftentimes you, on, you only get exposed to the things that, that are the most harmful uh, are, are the bad choices made by a handful of people. And so I think that um, – we begin to think, well, we need to create more accountability and we need to create more parameters. And so we then end up imposing these systems that are designed to prevent another bad apple from doing harm, but then really just undercut the uh, the way that we treat people in the environment that we create for them to thrive in. Um, I think it's important that we always come back to what what do we believe about people? Do we believe that our, our employees have integrity? Do I want to start by treating them as humans who have scruples? Uh, at the same time, though, Accountability and parameters are important. And so I think what leaders have to do is, is ask themselves, what's enough? What, what's the accountability and the parameters that's enough? Because, you know, accountability can be, well, these are going to be the outcomes. These are going to be the goals. This is what we're going to meet. This is what's expected. And then you let people go and you, and you leave them alone and you, and you ask them to work within those parameters. I'm, I'm thinking about one of the things that I've had to get better at as a leader is actually creating those parameters for others. Because I tend to uh, assign the people who work for me tasks and projects and things that I want them to work on without deadlines. I'll say, okay, here's a goal that we have, or here's here's a project I want you to take on. And I'll just kind of expect for them to work it in and, and you know treat it as important because we talked about it. But when I don't give them a deadline or I don't kind of give them context of, okay, here's where this fits in terms of the order of what's most important, they're kind of twisting in the wind a little bit because they don't necessarily know. And so I have had to go, okay, I need to actually be more intentional and create these these boundaries and parameters for folks and say, okay, here's where this fits in. It's more important than A, B, and C, but it's not quite as important as these other two things that are on your plate. So slot it in accordingly. And ideally, I'd love to to have us moving forward on this or complete it or have a next conversation about it by this day next week. And you know what I originally had thought was maybe micromanaging was no, was just being directive and creating the kind of parameters and accountability that people need to to be successful and to be able to prioritize accordingly. And so I think those are the kinds of accountability and parameters that people need to put into place that don't necessarily assume the worst intent in others. I think what might be helpful for us in trying to discern where that line is, right, is are you trying to prevent a behavior? Yeah. 
or are you holding people accountable? Right. And for me, if it's on that whole prevention thing, that's that you're on the wrong side. You're on the wrong side of of where you need to be structuring, right? Structure needs to be applied to accountability, like deadlines, like under helping people understand the priorities of your organization, the priorities of their workflow. But for every system that you implement on this prevention side, from coming from that place of fear and distrust, there will find someone will find a way to exploit it and break that because people will look for that. Yeah, <laughs> there will and, always be one. And I think the larger point here, and the whole reason I wanted to have this conversation about you know what do you believe about employees is because I think if you believe inherently that left to their own devices, people will drift towards character defect. It informs how you treat everybody versus if you believe that left to their own devices, most people are good and do and have pride in their work uh, and aren't afraid to work hard, that that will inform in a very different kind of way your leadership style. And, and you know, this is tied to kind of the second piece of this that I wanted to talk about, which was this other piece that I wrote and, and just published not long ago that was tied to the Great Resignation. So in last week's episode, we talked about how people aren't quitting, they're upgrading. And uh, that understanding that difference, that distinction is really important to understand what's going on. Um, but understanding that distinction is important for many reasons, not the least of which is this. It informs the story your mind tells you about who people are and what it takes to motivate them at work. And here's what I mean. If you believe that people out there in the world right now are quitting, quitting as an idea is associated with giving up, with abandoning, with leaving something unfinished or being unable to continue. And so like our, our values tell us that quitters are lazy, whereas upgrading is associated with striving for more, making improvements. It's, it's associated with ambition and drive. And in a first blush reaction, our values tell us that upgrading is about a commitment to quality. And so if we see what's happening right now as quitting, we will assume that, okay, we're going to see those people as lazy. And, you know, lazy people must be pushed and yelled at and monitored. And, and they are unreliable and they are inconsistent unless I have my thumb on them at all times. But if we really take that step back and we understand what's happening and we see that, that people are upgrading, it might reframe how we think about those folks because – when people are upgrading, we might see them as driven and committed to quality and that they can be trusted and that they are reliable and that they will strive for more on our behalf without needing to be coaxed or pressured if the environment is right. So as leaders, when we decide that people aren't quitting, i.e. lazy, they're actually upgrading, i.e. driven, it recalibrates what we believe about them at the very moment that so many people are recalibrating their relationship with us as employers and as leaders. And so it comes back to this question. What do you believe about people? Do you believe that they're inherently going to drift toward a negative character defect of, you know, doing the minimum, being lazy, trying to get away with murder, gaming the system? Or do you believe that people are good, that they tend to be driven, that they tend to want to do a good job and take pride in their work? I think everything that follows that creates a tone and influences leadership style. One, two things that um, 
I'm thinking of whenever you're you're speaking about how we want um, to think of people. One of which is, what if all of your deepest, darkest fears and your distrusts were true? Yeah. And they still got their job done. Hmm. What if? Because it, it, we are not a 100% good, 100% bad. There right. is, we are this cognitive dissidence of all of it, right? So what What if, what if? That employee is on your team. What if you're like, gosh, that behavior riles me up so much. And I can't believe that they think that they can have this side hustle and do this work mm-hmm. and do, 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 and yet they do. Maybe they are. Maybe they're pulling it off. Yeah. Maybe they are. Yeah. I mean, Question I, I, yourselves. <laughs> I heard a podcast with somebody the other day that, that kind of put me in that moment where, um, it was talking about the remote work environment for him and that it has actually allowed him to do two full-time jobs remote. And I kind of immediately had that kind of first blush, like, Ooh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Like if I was employer a, would I want to know about that? Would I, you know, it, it kind of opened up some questions for me. And then I kind of did that step back thing. And I thought I can only measure that person by whether or not they are doing what I need them to do in that role and doing it well. And if they are, I got no say in the rest of that. If they're at the meetings I need them to be at, if they're doing the work I need them to be at, if they're responsive and dedicated, then nothing else matters. That other piece doesn't matter. It is not for me to say whether they should have a second job or navigate or bounce between it, especially if I've created created a remote environment that allows them that flexibility in how, when, and where they work. Yeah. 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 So we got to start questioning some of those uh, beliefs up for ourselves, right? The second thing is is um, something that really important, a, a coaching tenet that was ingrained upon me in coaching training and that I say right off the bat for any potential client, which is everyone is inherently strong, capable, and wise. Yeah. Inherently strong, capable, and wise. You are not broken. I am not here to fix you. And then I go into my whole coaching um, understanding so that we have uh, our roles defined within that structure. And when I have coached leaders around this, the challenge then is when I pose that if you are, if I believe deeply that you are inherently strong, capable, and wise. Whenever this behavior, this behavior, whatever it might be that's coming at you that's, you know, really making your life difficult or triggering you in some major way, if you believe that person to be inherently strong, capable, and wise, how will that change your actions? Right. And when we look at this question for this segment, which is what do you believe about people, we have to ask ourselves, do, uh, what if my belief is wrong? What What is the harm done, right? So if I inherently believe that people will um, make selfish choices and game the system and take, 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 and I create the, the whole kind of systems and policies and processes to prevent that, what is it costing me with the folks who aren't like that? versus what what if people really are good and prideful and 
uh, prideful in the good way, uh, and uh, driven, and can be trusted and left to their own devices. What could it potentially cost me if I'm wrong? I think in most cases, more harm is done acting under the assumption that people are less than than acting with the assumption that people are more than. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you believe about employees, boss heroes? We would love to hear from you about this. You can send us your comments, your feedback, your questions, if you agree, if you disagree. We want your voice to be heard. So you can email us at bossbetternow at gmail.com. Let us know. We welcome you once again to the staple of our show. The second segment is always the camaraderie question of the week. Bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. That's why every week we here on the empire of Boss Better Now, and by empire I mean three people that run this show, you, me, and Jamie behind the scenes. Every week we give you a question you can use at meetings to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. I mean, technically, it's not just the three of us because we have a really wonderful group of people on our podcast hosting platform that like optimize the sound quality and do like the hosting for us. And so shout out to our friends at Resonate uh, who do a great job and uh, all make up our little team here. So our camaraderie question of the week is this, Alyssa, what are your top three most used emojis? <laughs> so... Uh, number one have to be like the rolling laughter with the tears coming out. Okay. okay? Uh, now here's where I diverge uh, two, three and uh, through 100 <laughs> are going to be the gifts G meaning G I F. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. GIFs. Some people that- say GIFs, but those people are wrong. Because it's graphics info something format. It's g- GIFs. Continue. GIFs. So uh, th- the most appropriately inappropriate GIFs <laughs> match to uh, the conversation <laughs> by which we are having. I mean, I, I, I truly feel that I am trophy worthy of my gift generation. You're, you're a gift master. I am. I am. Oh, yes. Now that you say that, I'm thinking about this. And yes, you almost always drop a pretty outstanding <laughs> GIF in any of our texting or group text chains. That's 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 fair. I'm way to speak up and toot your toot your, <laughs> I almost said toot your bell. <laughs> toot your own horn. What is it? There's ring, a gift ring, for that. <laughs> ring your bell? I don't know what I was going for there. But but way to, you know, way to own your gifts. See what I did there? That's right. Own your gifts. Gifts. See what I did? <laughs> I feel like that was really clever. <laughs> so so you're not an emoji user as much as you are a gifts user. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, for me, I, so... And I had a disclaimer on this question I forgot to mention. I feel like the most – I don't have data to prove this. I, it probably would only take me a minute to look it up. But I, I would argue that the most used emoji, hands down, has got to be the thumbs up. Um, okay. I think people thumbs up all the time. And so I feel like the best disclaimer for this question is besides the thumbs up, what are your oh, top okay. three most used emojis? So, Boss Heroes, if you're taking this question to your teams, I would put it like that. Not including the thumbs up. 
what are your top three most used emojis? So I looked. So on the Apple iPhone, when you click the emoji menu, it, it has all your most recent emojis oh, gotcha. right there. And I know you don't use that because you're not an Apple person. but Because um, I have a brain. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, don't. Sorry. What were you saying? No, that wasn't needed. <laughs> that was really unnecessary. That was violence for the sake of violence. Like, I was expect it? more from you. I don't know. <laughs> expect less. Um, <laughs> um, well, I, I, because I prefer superior products, I use an Apple iPhone. And so what I've noticed in my most used emoji category, aside from the thumbs up, uh, are the following. Uh, I am a fan of the double high five. Ah. Uh, okay. I am okay. a fan of the shocked face, like with the two hands <laughs> on the face, like the little, like the home, okay. it's like the home alone emoji. Right. Yeah. And then the third one is the face palm. <laughs> emoji, <laughs> right? Like the doit, right? <laughs> so apparently almost all of my reactions are either like thumbs up agreement Right. Um, shocked. Shock. Face palm. <laughs> double high five. That's. I feel like that is that is the four primary human emotions right there in almost any. I situation. feel like that's a dance. Like, is the, are those not the moves to the Macarena? I mean, I am fairly certain that is the the routine. Of Do the that emoji. Or the electric slide. <laughs> face palm. High five. Shocked. And then at the end, your brain explodes. <laughs> Mind, with the mind blown emoji, <laughs> what may be fun? Here's what here's what's something that would be really fun to do if you are in a um, virtual work environment. Is if you're meeting on Zoom, you can let people change their names on Zoom and have them put their top three emojis as their name, or. <laughs> Have everybody put their top three emojis in the chat box, or you could do it anonymously. If you like, if you're in person, you could do a bulletin board in the hallway where everybody puts their top three emo emojis, and you have to guess who this is. Right, that could be kind of fun. Like, or maybe there's like a flip card. You flip the card up, and it's got the person's name underneath it. You could do a lot with this one. This would be fun. As an HR person, I I can just say, go easy. Okay, folks, yeah. go easy because the number of eggplants that I am envisioning <laughs> is a lot, a lot and, of eggplants. And if you don't know what some people use the eggplant emoji for, we're not going to tell you. You're going to have to Google that on your own. And no that man. No man. is the camaraderie question of the week. Well, hey, we're going to boss like a mother in, in just a few seconds here, but I want to first tell you about something new that we just started doing. So we will often get calls from organizations who are interested in having me join them at a retreat or at a meeting or to deliver a keynote or to do some training. And for one reason or another, we can't make it work. Sometimes their date isn't available, or in some cases, they're just budget limited for things like that. And so for a long time, we have wanted to find some kind of alternative that we could offer when I couldn't be with a client live like they wanted. So Jamie on my team, shout out to Jamie, said, well, why don't we take some of these high quality recordings that we have of several of your programs and create a whole package with them, create a whole set of discussion guides, create a toolkit and offer it as a kind of on-demand package. It's like Joe in a box. 
And so this is something that we've started doing and that really we've gotten a lot of great feedback around. So not only does the client get me for less than the cost of flying me to be on-site live, we actually give them all of these other tools to self-direct a program with me that they then get to keep forever and use again and again. Uh, and so we have one of these for my No More Team Drama program. We have one for my Healthcare Patient Experience program. And we have a Boss Better Leadership option, Leadership Development program option. So it's been really cool. And so if you are looking for resources like this, you <laughs> If you want Joe in a box and you want to know more, you can just shoot an email over to hello at joemall.com and we'll get connected with you around that. And that brings us now to Boss Like a Mother. So for folks who are newer to our podcast, our Boss Like a Mother segment is really where um, Alyssa and I end up finding parallels between experiences that we're having as parents and some of the challenges that that leaders face. And so we kind of tend to consistently find parallels and experiences here. Um, and so I wanted to, to talk a little bit about trust and failure and, and the relationship that they had. I have had two experiences recently that got me thinking about the path to trust. So um, recently, uh, Jamie, I've talked about Jamie a couple times on this podcast today, um, stopped me in the hallway at the office and said, hey, can I spend $30? And I said, sure. And she said, do you want to know what it's for? And I said, well, if it makes you feel better to tell me, then sure, go ahead, but I trust you. And she said, well, I tell you what, I want to um, do it, and then I'll tell you when I'm done, because I think I can make it work. I said, okay. And so she came back to me a short while later and explained that that she had used $30 to, to change some aspect of how we were filing our corporate taxes, <laughs> um, and that in the long run, it was going to save us money. And I said, okay, great. No problem. And she said, you know, I just wanted you to know, I didn't want you to think that I was just like buying a bunch of chocolate to sit, it and sit there and watch it melt. And I said, well, <laughs> I appreciate the explanation, but I do trust you. And here's the thing, Jane, if you needed to buy a box of chocolate for $30 just to watch it melt, because that's what you needed to be great this week, then do it. I don't care. It's 30 bucks. Um, and it got me thinking about parenting a little bit. And about how the person that is asking the question is going to determine the response. Like, for example, if if my son had come to me, if Miles had come to me and said, Dad, can I have $30? What's the first question? Why? Yeah. What, what for? for? What do you need $30 for? Because there's a different kind of expectation there, isn't there? You know? Um, and And – Maybe there will come a point in his life where he's like, Dad, I need 30 bucks, and I don't question it, but that's going to be a trust that has to be earned, right? Yeah. And so I know that it is important to me that every person who works for me has autonomy and feels trusted because I know that those are the conditions that lead people to thrive. I know that. And I don't just know it because research tells me it's true. It's become a core value, a core tenet. And so – it is more important for me when asked, can I spend $30 to say, sure, and not not need to know than it is to say, well, what for? And to micromanage that in the moment. Now, certainly there's some scale to this. If Jamie had stopped me in the hallway and said, can I spend $30,000? I would have been like, hold on. This feels like a bigger conversation. <laughs> uh, but it got me thinking about something else, Alyssa. And this is where the boss like a mother thing comes in. So I, I promise there's there's connectivity to this. 
My wife and I have always managed snacks pretty intensely with our kiddos. Um, we are a very low sugar household. We Our kids don't get a lot of sugar. Sugar is a treat. If they want a snack, they have to ask for a snack. They'll say, hey, can I have a snack? Because sometimes we're trying to prevent ruining dinner. Or we're trying to prevent people overdoing it on the house. We're trying to teach them how to make healthy choices around what you put in your body and all that. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed is that we tend to manage it more than a lot of other parents in our orbit. And, you know, there's there are we live in a world where there's more than one right answer, right? And so I think that that's not a judgment on how anybody does anything. It's just how we do it. And I have found myself thinking, when do we stop doing that? When do we say to the kids, listen, we need, we need to turn over to you the decisions about when and how you snack and how much and what you have, because you need to learn how to do it. You need to learn what's enough and what's too much. They will never develop agency if we don't give them the chance to fail, is my whole point here. And so in both of these cases, for the question about, hey, Joe, can I spend $30? And wanting to control snacks, I have to override my instincts. I have to choose to trust, even if the outcome isn't desirable. I may not like what Jamie was going to spend the $30 on, but I believe it's more important to say yet, more important to say yes than to hold on to that $30 in that moment. With the kids, I'm going to have to come to a point where it's more important that I give them the chance to fail and to overeat because that has to happen first before they get it right, right? And so the whole point of this Boss Like a Mother segment is sometimes we have to override our instincts and choose trust even if the outcome isn't desirable. We have to give up some of that control. <laughs> Is this making sense? Are you seeing a parallel here? I I absolutely am. I went back and circled my prevention versus accountability. Mm. It's like that's, it's all tied together. That's, yeah, that to me, that's that's how this is balanced, you know. And certainly in child rearing, I think prevention is a part of that. Uh, but to your point. Yeah. When do you move that line into accountability? Yes. And, yeah. and, and knowing that failure will occur, right? So this is, this is a great point. Thank you for, for framing it. Like you always credit me for, for bringing it all down and keeping it simple. And that was, that was so beautifully done. Hey, I'm sending you my emoji high five. Clap. <laughs> I feel <All> right. it. <laughs> and because that that really is the truth. If we are creating all these systems to micromanage people at work and monitor them, um, we're trying to prevent failure. We're trying to prevent the bad thing from happening versus if we just give people the, the grace and the agency and the space to make the right decision, we are uh, – setting them up for success and we're going to, they're going to eventually learn how to do some things without us and be more successful because we didn't focus on making sure that no mistake ever occurred. You know, I think that's the thing that um, I, I am probably just going to have to get over with the kids is watch them gorge themselves on snacks and candy for a while until they figure out a healthier balance for it. So like parents out there, if you've, if you've hacked this, if you've figured it out, then I am all ears because here's the other interesting thing about this, Alyssa, like I was raised with 
uh, parents who micromanage that too. And when I got older, I really struggled. I really like I remember going to the cafeteria in at college and being like I can have four glasses of chocolate milk at breakfast and there's nobody to stop me like it's not limited to one whoa right uh and so I wonder if that it's kind of a, it's a nature or nurture thing like if I had like all of my you know interrelated issues with food and and restraint was that brought about by some wiring was that brought about because it was managed for me for too long I don't know but there's a certain amount of failure that I'm probably going to need to allow my kids to experience in order for them to be healthier and happier and better successfully able to self navigate in the future yeah the the ability to hold self accountable uh, in a world <laughs> that uh, sometimes uh, the the standards, uh, especially when we're talking about food uh, mm. and what it looks like to be accountable in a healthy space with food, diet, exercise, you know that whole thing. Those are some really hard things to navigate. So we're all just doing the best that we can. And I believe inherently (laughs) we are strong, capable, and wise. And so are your kids. And so are you. And you'll figure it out. And and we we thrive and allow them to thrive when we operate as if and we treat them that way. Perfect bow on our segment, my friend. Well done. That is bossed like a mother. And leave it to our resident coach and mother to bring it all together perfectly. Well done. Well, hey, friends, that's our show. Don't forget, the only way to make sure you don't miss an episode of our show is to subscribe wherever you're listening. Why not do that right now? Take a moment before you click off, look for that subscribe button, and give it a push. Until next time, good luck out there. This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit joemall.com today.